Good morning. Welcome. Good to see you here. Still a nice, beautiful, crisp morning, but it's warming up, isn't it? Gives us that little false sense of spring is near. <laughs> a reminder, I'll give you a few announcements. First of all, a reminder that the office is closed tomorrow in observance of the Martin Luther King birthday. Coming soon. Scouts will be here to collect food. They're going to hand out the bags on February the 1st, and then they will come back on February the 8th, which is Scouting Sunday. And they'll be participating in the uh, order of worship at several locations, and they will um, collect the food. The food will be distributed here in Greer to the, to the uh, I think it's Greer Relief is where it's going. And uh, then there's going to be a, val a Valentine pancake breakfast on February the 14th in the Family Life Center sponsored by the Scouts. And it says free with donations, so don't have a price. So I think that's wonderful. <laughs> you know, if you're really, really desperate and hungry, you can come have a free pancake. But um, that is a fundraiser for them. There'll be more information about this. There may be some already in your bulletins this Sunday. I'm not sure. But uh, you'll see more and hear more about this. Uh, also a reminder that the contribution statements for 2014 are, 2014 are available in the back after service and offering envelopes for 2015 are also available at the back of the service, at the end of the service. Some of you may notice my stole today and wonder where did it come from. I've had it actually for a long time. And you'll notice it has a bunch of pictures of children on it. Uh, I'm wearing it in solidarity with our annual conference emphasis of children in poverty. And also the youth and the children of this church are bringing to us a special Lenten emphasis once Lent starts uh, to support a child uh, through Compassion International, and and you'll hear more about this too. Uh, I'm just uh, I just was trying to help you help out with uh, solidarity a little bit. Put the children's faces in here as emphasis, but you'll hear a formal announcement about this a little bit sooner as we get closer to uh, Lent. All right, kids, join us tonight for our Sunday night programs. Handbells at 5, Children's Choir at 5.30, Mission Kids, Bible Study, and Snack Time from 6 to 7. Lots of exciting things to come this spring semester. Please join us. And just as a reminder, uh, of the our, we had a really large crowd of youth and adult chaperones to go to, uh, which are away this weekend, Lake Junaluska, for the retreat weekend, which also comes with skiing. So I think they might have had some good weather for that. All right. Let us begin our worship together.
The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray together. O Almighty God, by the birth of your holy child Jesus, you gave us a great light to dawn on our darkness. Grant that in his light we may see light and that we may have the ever-brightening hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let us affirm our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. be seated and let our children come forth for children's time. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. I'm glad you're here. I beat you, Ralph. I got two. <laughs> All right, next week we'll aim for three. Today's sermon text that Reverend Curtis is going to read to us comes from Romans, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. And the first verse reads, Let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. It's hard in this life to be a Christian. A lot of people put pressure on us, they tease us, they make fun of us. And one reason that we come here to church is to fellowship with people who remind us that we're not alone. 
uh, we need the support of one another. And at church, we should be supportive of each other and not be hypocrites. So what is the word hypocrite? Do you know what it means? I'm going to explain it. It was used in the Greek world of an actor, and they wore masks. They would stand on the stage, and they wore masks like this. And the facial expression, what does this mask look like? Like I'm smiling or laughing or? It looks like I'm surprised. Do you agree, Sarah? Kind of? All right, can you tell what I'm doing behind this mask right now? Can you tell, Sarah? I was doing this. Can you tell what I'm doing right now? I'm frowning. See, this, this mask, that you couldn't tell what the person behind the mask is doing, right? So, and this was a hypocrite, somebody who tells you, oh, Sarah, you're wonderful. And behind their backs, they say, ah, Sarah's not wonderful. You see, and that's a hypocrite. And Paul is telling us not to be hypocrites. At church, with the people that, who are like us, we should support one another and love one another. And when they say yes, the people to you, if they say yes, they should mean yes. And if they say no, they should mean no. Um, but sometimes it's hard to be genuine because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. We're always afraid of hurting people's feelings. The verse continues. It says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, hate is a strong word, right? I, I knew a girl, a little girl, one time she told me, oh, my teacher used the H word. And I thought, oh, I thought it was another word. And I said, well, what did she say? And she said, I hate broccoli. And usually kids are told not to say hate, right? You're not supposed to say, I hate this or I hate that. But Paul is challenging us to really hate what is evil, things like pride, selfishness, revenge, immorality, and other ungodly behavior. And then the other part says cling. What does cling mean? Yes. You're right, right? You cling, you hug. It's almost like glue. You're right, that's, an, that's a great example. A little kid who doesn't want to leave his mom when he goes to daycare or she goes to daycare. Clinging is like glue, and he's telling us to cling to what is good. You hug it tight, you don't let go, like glue, you stick to it. Humility, selflessness, generosity, all those things. So you're supposed to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I want to finish with one more verse. It's from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And it illustrates this thing that we should love one another here. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Right? If you fall down by yourself, can somebody help you? If you're by yourself, there's nobody there. Right? Um, pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. And a little bit farther it says, though one may be overpowered, like if I punch you, one may be overpowered, but two together can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Jesus said, by this world, by this the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love toward each other. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Repeat after me. Dear Father, may the signs of our love for you be visible to the world by the way in which we love one another. Please help us to not be hypocrites towards one another, but to show genuine love. Amen.
Our scripture lesson today, wow, that's warm. Our scripture lesson today is uh, from Matthew, it's Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. It's on page 1524 of your Pew Bible, if you'd like to read along. In Matthew, Christ, having shown his disciples that he must suffer, that he was ready and willing to suffer, here shows them that they must be ready and willing to suffer as well. Here we are instructed that discipleship demands that one completely abandon the desire to seek comfort, fame, or power. And here is the verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Let us bow our heads for prayer. O Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. O loving God, from the very beginning of life, you watch over us. You guide us in the way we are to go. Great and glorious are your many works. And yet you still know us as your children. So as we come this day to sing our praises to you, O God, we must confess of our many sins this past week, our shortcomings. We're reminded that you have created us and know us in every way and provide everything we need for sustenance. And yet, even knowing that we're yours and we're called to live a certain way. We neglect. We neglect our spiritual life. We do not care for others as we should. We abuse the ways in which we choose to live and thereby dishonor you. We pray, O oh God, this day that you would forgive us that you would claim us once more and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that just as you called those first disciples, you would call us again. And you'd give us that same Spirit that empowered them in their day to empower us to carry your message of good news to those in the world who are in darkness. We pray, O oh God, this day, that you'd help us not to stumble because we readily admit we are hesitant. We see all the things of the world and we think, what can we do? And we see others uh, in our congregation, in our family, in our friends who are suffering. And we ask, what can we do? And so we lift up, O oh Lord, this day, everyone that's on our list and it's in our hearts now. We pray for them. We know that they're weighed down with infirmities of the body. We know many are troubled in their spirit. And we know many of them mourn and grieve this day. We pray, O oh God, that you would visit them that you would visit them with your healing grace, 
that You'd restore them, that You would answer us, not with what we think is best, but what You know is best, and that You would help us to accept Your good and perfect will in all things that we can see and cannot see. For we offer these prayers this day in the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we join in solidarity with Him as we pray with one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue our worship with our giving. Let our ushers come forward at this time.
Please be seated. I want to begin reading the scripture with verse 1 instead of 9, so bear with me. It's a little bit longer reading. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. But on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your words to help us. We pray, O oh Lord, that we can come to see that this chapter is... Uh, really like a quick start guide to living and help us to see how it can help us in our time. We pray in your name. Amen. Now I know I've not, the only one who's ever noticed this, but have you ever noticed that guys, men, and especially men, don't like to be told what to do? Now I know a few women don't like to be told what to do, but most of the time men don't like to be told what to do. Let me give you some examples. Guys will drive around totally lost before they ever stop to ask for directions. Do y'all agree with that? And putting things together? <laughs> Have you ever seen a guy who opens up a box of something that needs to be assembled and pulls the instruction book out and starts reading it? Of course not. Forget about it. In fact, most companies have come to realize that men are like bulls in china shops when it comes to putting things together, that they've decided, yes, they'll still include that big manual, but they've got now these little, have you noticed this? These little, like two pieces of paper, and it'll say, quick start guide. Have you noticed that? To put things together. You see, when it comes to life, I think that uh, men especially often react the same way. We do not want anyone to tell us how to live, what to do, where to go, what to read. We just go out there and start living. And we make it up most of the time as we go. Isn't that true, men? Y'all need to admit it. That's what we do. But we do have this manual. We do. And it's this Bible. 
And yes, it's a pretty big manual. And most of the time, we won't take time to read the whole thing. So I'm going to help you out this day. I'm going to give you a quick start guide. And that is exactly what I think Paul was doing in chapter 12 of Romans. Some people have actually called it uh, a, a different version of the commandments. And if you think about it, it, they were some pretty good ones, weren't they? This quick start guide that Paul gives us in Romans 12 covers three areas of our life. It, it, as it covers the relationship we have with God. It covers our relationship uh, with ourselves. And it covers our relationship with others. So let's just take a moment to look at some of these instructions. I'm not going to tell you all of them. I'm just, I kind of grouped them into 10, like 10 little commandments. First one is this. First thing that Paul said was we should offer ourselves as living sacrifices. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, in the days of Jesus Christ, the way sacrifice was done for, for sin to God was to bring an animal. It would be like if we carried an animal in here, slit his throat and let the blood pour down, and then take the dead animal and burn it as a burnt offering. Now, we don't bring dead animals anymore into the congregation and burn them. What we do now is we remember and recognize that Jesus Christ became our sacrifice once for all, for once for all time for sin. And so when the Bible tells us to bring a sacrifice in, and he specifically says a living sacrifice, what Paul, I believe, is trying to tell us is every day we have to make sacrificial decisions. Every day we have to decide whether or not we're going to live for and serve God or not. So the first instruction is our relationship with God. It is to bring ourselves as a living sacrifice to God because it is in with this, this relationship to God that these other instructions will work out and then we become the people that God wants us to be. The second instruction that popped out to me was for us to do that, we have to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You know, when those sacrifices were burnt on the altar... They burned up. They made a pleasant aroma to the Lord. Uh, one of my uh, Old Testament professors said it was like they were having a barbecue and the Lord must love barbecue because it smells so good and that's what basically they were doing. But when you burn something on the grill, okay, literally the chemical properties change. The fire oxidizes the meat. So as living sacrifices, we must also be changed and transformed. Now the world system around us sets a pattern for us to follow that is mostly of immoral behavior. And it pushes us constantly to conform to that pattern. Instead, Paul says we need to be changed to this different pattern. Well, that sounds really good, Joseph. But how are we to do that? By the renewing of our minds, Paul said. You know, it's important to know sometimes the roots of words. The word that was used there comes from a Greek word for renovation. How many of you have ever renovated anything? When God starts this transformation with us, it's, as, it's like a remodeling project. It's like a renovation in our life. He, ta he takes our character and our behaviors, and it's kind of like where we tear a wall out or, and we put new carpet down, all right, in a renovation. That's what God's doing. He, he takes and remodels our character and our behaviors and transforms us. We have to let Him do it. What's the result? The result is we're more able to test and approve God's will. We're more able to understand what it is God wants us to do in any given situation. So what is happening is, is as we uh, yield ourselves to God's work in our life, we are being matured and transformed into His image. And that transformation leads us in a certain direction. So as we are transformed, we start understanding things like, in my opinion, the third, the third instruction, which is don't think too highly of yourself. 
Every so often I think a little too highly of myself. And thank God he sent Brendan to my life to remind me that I don't need to think so highly of myself. I think if every one of us took this verse to heart, there'd be so many less problems. We would give ourselves then over to serving the Lord uh, instead of serving ourselves. We would start seeing an accurate assessment of our lives in the light of Jesus Christ, which means we would start to turn from inward, from the narcissistic self that we are, into an outward person, a place that brings us to our relationship with other people. Which brings me to the fourth instruction in my ten little instructions. So in Christ, we must remember that we are part of one body and that each member belongs to the other. Each of us belong to each, to each other and form one body. Each of us has a function in this body. Do you know what yours is? It's important. The point here is that we belong to each other. I can't do it without you and you can't do it without me. And that is the truth, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the school, whether it's in a business, whether it's in a family. We all have different gifts and we need to try to get over envying other people's gift and look to the best job that we can do with the gift God has given to us. Now the question comes up a lot. We don't know what God's gift is, what God has gifted us, or we don't know what God's called us to do. And I say simply pray. Pray to God and say, God, reveal to me what it is that you want me to do, or reveal to me what gift that you've given me for the building up of the kingdom. And you know what I have found out? It's that most of the time your gift or what God wants you to do is something that you're already naturally good at. I have found out that you, that you that some that people let's just say that you have a knack for business, and you earn your living that way, and you earn and you build up your business that way. I have found out that that's the gift, probably that God's given you to build up the kingdom. And if you're not using it to build up the kingdom, you need to be. I had an usher one time tell me, I got to, got to knowing this usher a little bit more than just on a superficial level. And he said that he felt like that the church was not using him properly because the only thing they ever asked him to do was to be an usher. The guy was the head of a multi-million dollar business. And all the church ever asked him to do was to usher. <laughs> so take your gift and use it for the building up of the church. And don't wait for someone to ask you. Start using it. Paul gives lots of examples on how we can serve. What I want to point out here is this. It seems that there, there is positive and negative ways to use your gift, though. For example, if you do it begrudgingly or if you do it with selfish motives, that's not the right way. So look at Jesus' example in whatever you do. Okay, fifth instruction. Live a sincere life in a world of selfishness. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. This is especially important given the world we live in. We live in a world full of evil that often masquerades as good. And Paul does say, as I have pointed out, hate is what he said. The word hate comes from a word, though there, that means odious, smelly. Evil stinks. Ever smell a skunk? Ever got up real close and personal with a skunk? Unfortunately, I have. Uh, there was a skunk that was coming around our parsonage in the daylight. We figured it was rabid. Everyone was concerned that it, our parsonage was close to the church, that it might be rabid. It might affect by one of the kids or whatever. So we brought it to the trustees. This is the way a Methodist church works. <laughs> and the trustee says, well, preacher, 
you got a gun, don't you? You want a gun, don't you? Just go out there and shoot it next time you see it. <laughs> what they didn't know was I wasn't much of a shot. <laughs> I did try to shoot the skunk. I missed. Later that day, as I was sitting and comfortably in my study, the little sucker came up on the front porch and sprayed our entire front porch. And it come right in the window where I was at. As if it knew I was after it. <laughs> the point is it stink and it stuck really, really bad. And Jesus is telling us that we should be repelled from sin as if it stinks just like that. And contrast that with the words cling to what is good. And you have a good, ex, uh, good example. It's the same one I used earlier. Glue. It's like glue. When you want to cling to something over time, think of it like glue. It bonds things together. And that's the way it should happen with us. We should cling like glue close in our relationship to God. And when we stick close to God, we will stick to good and it won't be so hard for us to do. Sixth, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Folks, be joyful in hope because God is working. God is working in your life. God is working in the world. So don't overly fret. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. You're going to get through this because God is with you. Just hang tight, whatever the affliction is. God is with you and will get you through it. And I have yet to find someone who does not say these words to me. I, looking back, I see how God was at work in my life. And be faithful in prayer. And when you do that, you're making your communion with God a priority. So if we do these things, following uh, Christ becomes easier. And I think that as Paul was developing these words for the church, that if you'll notice, as you got towards the end, they got harder to do. But if you build upon the ones that Paul is saying and you fought, do those things in, almost in that order, you're able then to do number seven, which is bless those who persecute you, Bless them and do not curse them. Now, I know this is opposite. This is opposite of what we do normally. But if we get an eternal perspective, it becomes easier to love those who seem unlovable. After all, each one of us have had appeared in our life, I guarantee it, that we were unlovable to somebody. Eight, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You see, as God begins to transform you and shape your character as you yield to God's work in your life and spirit and you stay in communion with God, you begin to act more appropriately in every situation. So it's important, it's important and okay to rejoice and it's also okay to mourn, and it's definitely okay to do this with each other. As it says, we all belong to each other. You know, we don't have to be happy, happy all the time. Not everybody is happy, happy all the time. And the last thing that a person who's not really happy that day needs for you to go around and go, oh, you must be happy. What they really need is for you to be present for them in whatever situation they're in. So if someone is mourning, you don't tell them you need to be happy. You stand in solidarity with them. You're present to them. Nine, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right. And if it's possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Now, we don't, it doesn't always depend on us. So we can't always do that. Sometimes we're thrust into conflicted situations. But the point is here is this. We must try to behave in a way that gains approval of those outside the church. Not just those inside the church, but not at the expense of Christ's character in us. Now make sure you heard that right. 
We need to try to act in ways to gain approval of those outside the church, but not at the expense of Christ's character in us. If by getting approval from others we must lie, then we cannot do it and we cannot gain approval. But if it means we go to the extra mile with them, then we should. And that is approved by the Lord. And number 10, you notice Paul kind of repeats this. So this is important, I believe. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then as if we needed to be reminded of the scripture, he included it in his writings there. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Folks, I read that scripture one time in some, I don't know what it was. I was doing, I don't know if I was preaching or teaching. And a man come up later and said, preacher, he says, that's what I want to do all along was that last part, putting burning coals on their head. <laughs> I said, you're missing the point. It's not that you're to go out and grab your gas, your, your charcoal grill full of hot coals and dump it on your feisty neighbor's head. That's not what he means. Even though that is our tendency. Paul says that when we do the opposite of that, it brings to them a guilt of their own actions. I have seen this too many times and have heard it. Someone wants nothing better to do with you except to argue with you and you won't argue with them. It drives them crazy. doesn't drive you crazy. You're just not going to be brought into that drama, are you? But it pull, it's like it puts hot coals on their head. It makes them realize okay, and to think about what's going on. And you have done what you're supposed to do. You have loved them unconditionally. And even though our tendency is not to do that, Paul says that when we do that, we are proving that we are disciples of the author of love who gave a commandment that says, love one another. He didn't say love whoever you think is going to love you back. Or love those who did just what you expected them to do. If that's the case, we'd never be together, would we? Ever on anything. The Lord is calling us to have a different system. To fight back with good. We need to look at it this way. Those people who do bad things, they do it, I think, because either one, they're ignorant of their actions, and I think that's what happens an awful lot. People do not realize that what they did hurt someone. Or they're controlled by evil. Evil has taken them over. And the only way we can break that cycle is we have to bring God into it, God's love into it. Only God's love can break that cycle of ignorance or control by sin. Nothing else can. So when we come to that point, and it seems it's, out of, it's beyond our control, we need to bring God to it. The truth be said that we would be better off to bring God to it to begin with before we try to fix it. So, this is a quick start guide, I believe, to Christian living. And it all begins with a personal relationship with God. And I've come to the conclusion in my, at my, this point in my life that if I just continue to try to work on my relationship with God, my relationship with others, my relationship even with myself uh, will work out and everything will eventually fall into place. And so I'm reminded to be a patient in affliction and to be hopeful in all situations. And I pray that what I've said to you this day will help you too.
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Receive now the blessings of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Almighty, Eternal, Triune God, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.